Ahoy and welcome to the September All at Sea podcast. I'm Gary Brown, Editorial Director of All at Sea magazine, the Caribbean, South Florida and Bahamas' favourite waterfront magazine. In this podcast, we meet fishing specialist Philip Barrett, who describes the equipment you need to start fishing from your boat and what it takes to catch the big one. I've always had a thing about tugboats, and later I take you on a tour of a 1930s New York Harbour tug that found its way to the Caribbean. Unfortunately, in my opinion, the story doesn't end well. We'll also take a look at what you can find in the September edition of All at Sea magazine. First, let's go fishing with Philip Barrett. We're in the Budget Marine flagship store in Corbe St. Martin. I have with me Philip Barrett. And Philip is a fishing specialist. Uh, his job here in Budget Marine is to uh, sell, of course, and but recommend what fishing gear you need to get yourself the big one. I'm not a big fisherman. I do like to pull a line behind the boat when I'm sailing. But we're going to ask Phil how you should start off, how you should rig your boat if you've never fished before. Phil, thanks for uh, talking to us today. Where would you begin? The very beginners. He walks into the store and says, hey, I want to do a bit of sport fishing. What would you say to him? Well, first off, I'd ask him what kind of fishing does he want to do. Does he want to have a rod and reel or just drag a line with a snubber and uh, do it the easy way? And then he'll either tell me with the rod and reel or the hand line. So then you've got to think of what does he want to catch? Do you want to catch dinner? Do you want to catch a big fish to brag about? Most of the cruisers like to catch something small for dinner. Little tuna, not a big fridge or freezer, just something to eat for the night. Okay, so let's start there. With a, a, somebody who just wants to drag a line and catch something for dinner, what do they have to buy? First off, you get a hand line. A heavier line, usually 150, 200 pound test, so it doesn't cut you as it's bringing in just something small. A little feather, small cedar plug, little uh, hoochie bait. Something small target, the little tuna, little Dorado. Can you show me one? Sure, of course. We've got a whole bunch of little rubber skirts here. So just little squid skirts. Pretty simple, just two inch, four inch little skirt. If you want to step up, you have a feather. So you get the feather with a either a plastic, metal, or a head painted. Some are just straight lead. And then they got a little feather behind them and then a squid skirt on top of that to hold the feather. Now, Phil, I don't see a hook in there. These are, you know, they're not rigged. You can either have a wire, if you're catching a lot of barracuda and losing them, put wire. For tuna, I tend to like uh, monofilament because it's clear. But um, we've got some pre-rigged ones here from No Alamai. Here, we've also got some other ones here. Tuna eyes are great for a little tuna. I tend to like the pink and white. They're all different colors. Is there a color that seems to work better than any of the other ones? I don't know. I think it's personal preference. It's all in the... uh, action of the bait for tuna i like to use pink white yellow for my my for some reason they like something that looks like them on darker days i tend to go darker because the fish can see the silhouette silhouette of the bait a little easier on lighter bright days throw something bright back there and what's the ideal speed to be trolling at you know anywhere from four to eight knots you know if you're going under four knots the bait's going to have a little different action and i tend to go with something with the bill on it you know, when it's getting trolled at two or three knots, it still has an action. And then anything over eight knots, it's hard to target for certain species. I mean, wahoo and sailfish, marlin, you know, they go faster than that. But it's really tough to catch a mahi or a tuna faster than eight knots. And do you need to get the bait down under the water or should it skim along the top? It all depends. Wahoo, target baits underneath. So if you're fishing for wahoo, I tend to put the baits lower. 
sipping it along the surface is better now at times because of sargasm. I mean, if you have a bait lower, it's going to catch a lot of the weed and it's hard to bring it in. Yeah, the last couple of years has been really tough to fish. My team has actually started, if it's not a tournament, we're not going to go trolling. We go to places where we know the fish, we target fish before, and actually chunk them up, they say. So catch smaller tuna and use chunks to get the fish up. This way we're not trolling and constantly taking weed off our lines. How do you get the bait down? When you're trolling, use a trolling lead. But if we're drifting, targeting, you know, fish around, we just, as we're drifting, you let line out and it sinks gradually. If you have a lead to hold the bait down or the lure down, how far ahead of the lure should that weight be? Usually we have the trolling lead and a 30-foot shock leader. So it's a 30-foot piece of monofilament that is behind the lead and then your lure attaches to that so the fish doesn't see it and there's some shock in between the lead and the lure. Now, we've talked about pulling the line behind the yacht. What if you want to step up a little bit? I mean, you're a competition fisherman, a very successful one. And uh, when you look at boats rigged, you see these beautiful rods and these fancy reels that look all shiny and gold. And we're moving up a little bit there. That's a bit more expensive. What would you need as a beginner before you move up to the really, really uh, expensive equipment? Let's have a look. I mean, when I started off, you fished with senators. So the same thing you see on the back of 90% of the sailboats, regular senator 6-0. A senator's a reel, right? Yeah, the Penn Senator 6-0. And it's usually on a 30 to 80 pound rod, something that can handle it. And uh, you can start off with that. If you want to do a one step up, you go um, Shimano and Penn both come out with a nice composite reel. So it's the same thing as a gold, same internals and everything, but it's just a composite outside. And they're ranging anywhere from 300 to 500 bucks instead of spending $1,000 for the gold ones, you know? We're looking here at rods or something that's incredibly long. And when you see these sports fishing boats, they've got outriggers that look you know, really impressive, and they've got several rods on there. So now you're talking about big money, serious fishing. Where would you start with that? Well, like I said, you can start off with the Senators. The outriggers, we have, um, instead of them being attached to the boat, we actually have one here in the shop that you can put in a rod holder. So instead of having it attached to your T-top or on the side of your cabin, you put it in the rod holder, easy to store after, and... Um, convenient for the local guy who likes to go you know to the beach most of the time but he can bring it with him as well tell me how an outrigger works well the outrigger is pretty much wants to widen your spread if you look in your regular trolling you only have the distance behind your boat but if you put an outrigger on each side it almost looks like you have your spread can be three times as wide and it helps you with your lines if you're fishing six lines on right behind your boat the odds are you're going to get tangled these outriggers allow you to space your lines apart so they don't get tangled when you turn. And the line goes from the rod through the end of the outrigger? There's a release clip on the outrigger line. Sometimes riggers have two or three release clips on them and you take your line and put it through the release clip. When the fish strikes, the pressure releases and allows you to go directly to the rod. What about live bait, fresh bait? I've seen some people are pulling uh, ballyhoo behind them with a lure embedded in them. Uh, Is that the way you fish? Um, when we're tournament fishing, most of the time we have at least one ballyhoo in the water. It allows the fish to have a little taste when he hits it. If he misses it and he tastes that, he'll come back and hit it again. I mean, trolling for marlin, so to say, sometimes we have all hard lures out, no bait. That way we want to cover some water, bump it up to eight, maybe ten knots, and the ballyhoo won't get washed out. What's the biggest fish you've caught, Phil? Um, recently I caught a 612-pound marlin in Antigua. That's my biggest one that have weighed. I mean, we've hooked into sharks that might be bigger, but you never know. And what's the attraction of hunting these giants of the sea? When the rod takes off, that's it. That's the adrenaline rush. 
just you, the rod, and the fish. What do you think of catch and release? I think it's great for the species of billfish. Conservation is a huge part. You've got to think, if we're going to go out and kill all these marlin in 10 years, 15 years, when your son comes up and he wants to go fishing and there's nothing out there, what are you going to do? You can't take them out there. I mean, mahi-mahi, tuna, all this, they reproduce so quickly that they can sustain. But marlin, on the other hand, with all these guys targeting it. And, I mean, the meat doesn't taste that good as well anyway. So what, what's the point of killing a fish that you're not going to eat? Say I'm here on vacation and I go, oh, I'd like to do a bit of sport fishing. Is there a way I can do that? Yeah, there are definitely a lot of charter guides. I mean, Lee's is probably the most known one on the island, but there are you know, four or five ones in Simpson Bay and all around the island. But the problem with that is you go out for a half day, you can't really fish the areas where you're going to go catch these larger fish. So people think that our fisheries here aren't that great. But the problem is, realistically, that our drop-offs closer to St. Martin don't hold as much fish as other places. If you go out for a full day, some of these guys will bring you to the right spots and really you'll realize it. But to start off and go sport fishing around here, it's kind of tough. Marlin Boulevard, tell me a bit about that. Um, that's a point out in the east of St. Martin, in Anguilla. It's uh, pretty much the first, first tip from the Atlantic that we see. And it's um, the tide just goes over it and just holds a lot of fish. There is a tournament out there once a year, St. Martin Billfish Tournament. There is a, it's out of the French side. It's a three-day event. We're pretty well known throughout the Caribbean. We have people coming all the way from Trinidad. It's a pretty good tournament. So, Phil, you could really start fishing if you have a boat a yacht, say, or uh, any kind of boat. You can start small, and it doesn't have to be too expensive, and you can have a lot of fun doing that. And then you can slowly, if you catch the bug, build up until you've got a magnificent array of rods like this on the back of a sports fishing boat, and you can take it really seriously and uh, get into competition. And I guess you can do that uh, right throughout the Caribbean, and in fact, right around the world. Yeah, definitely. Just take a line out, see if you like it, if you enjoy it, you catch a bug, so to say. Either find people that you know that like fishing or you can go to a local bar. See, you can tell the fishermen around. Chat with them. Maybe you even go out with their boat and then make a good team and, yeah, try to fish some of these tournaments. And if you're interested in mine, you can always come into a budget reading and see Phil and uh, he'll sell you all the equipment that you need. Indeed. Phil, enjoy your fishing. Oh, thank you. And that was fishing expert and competition winner Philip Barrett talking to me at the Budget Marine Store, Kobe St. Martin. Now, where can you find a copy of All at Sea magazine? The magazine is distributed throughout the Caribbean Basin, and that uh, includes the Panama Canal area, the southern and northern Caribbean island chain, the Bahamas and South Florida. You can pick up a copy at marinas, boatyards, ship stores, yacht clubs, boaters, bars and marine service providers. You can also download the entire magazine for free as a PDF by going to our website, which is allatsea.net. And uh, we have copies there going back several years, which you can uh, download. Now, this month we have articles in the magazine about maintaining a steel boat, how to prepare a catamaran for haul-out, and we explore the mysteries of the Beaufort scale and visit the wonders of the baths in the BVI. Our features include a boatyard roundup, where we reveal what's new in Caribbean boatyard services, and we look at the region's top ten food festivals. I like that. Glutton that I am. Now, before we slide a short ad into the podcast, I have to remind you that you can also find All at Sea on Facebook and on Twitter. 
join the crew of the infamous floating bar Lucky Lady on a rip-roaring chase across the Caribbean. Tackle storms, party hard or die trying. Packed with unforgettable characters, Caribbean High is for anyone who dreams of adventure in the Caribbean and life on the edge. The Caribbean's number one sailing thriller, Caribbean High by Gary E. Brown, is now available in paperback and as an e-book from Amazon.com and Amazon.co.uk or ask at your local bookstore. Visit the author's website, GaryEbrown.net, for details. And that was a radio ad for Caribbean High. Now, the latest in the Caribbean series, Caribbean Deep, is a high-action thriller about the topical subject of human trafficking. Both books are available from Amazon Worldwide, and Caribbean High is available as an e-book and paperback. Caribbean Deep is available in e-book format only. The paperback will be coming along soon. Now, let's go aboard a 1930s tugboat. Now, there's a lot of noise around at the moment because this is a working tugboat, and the noise you can hear is from the boatyard, and there's some welding going on, some cutting going on. And we're very, very high up here now on the bridge. Jason, how high do you think this bridge is above sea level? Uh, 20 feet-ish. This must be uh, quite a wild ride up here in a, a sea. She can roll about a bit, but she held a, she's pretty steady normally, yeah. She's pretty steady. Just take me around the bridge here. It's, it's a bit basic, but this tugboat um, is very, very old. It's, uh, I believe, built in 1930? Yeah, the hull's from 1930. And, and the equipment here in the bridge would uh, be the same age? Probably about 1910 by the look of it, yeah. 1930 for sure. And what we're looking at right here, there's this huge wheel, and, and what's this thing in front of the wheel? Rudder indicator. And here? Controls forward and astern. The old binnacle and an implemented GPS, depth sounder, toggles. Because the wheel's so heavy, if you take her onto rudder steering just with your wheel, she's difficult to hold. You know, it's 130 tonnes, so we click her off onto the jog levers to make it easier steering. Just explain the jog levers for me again. Well, it's just a little, uh, a little toggle to move your rudder. It's a tiller, basically. It's just a, a tiller extension. Say if you're holding onto the big wheel, which pulls you over, it's an electric tiller. It's very basic in here. I don't see uh, any modern navigation equipment. Well, there's one over there, the GPS. It's very uh, austere, isn't it? Very, yeah, yeah. She's old school. The shape of the wheelhouse is very traditional, way back from the 30s. This round, straight arch. Yes, it is, isn't it? It's absolutely beautiful. Popeye. Popeye was the thing that came to mind with me when I walked down the dock looking at her. Pluto on the wheel. Somebody else said uh, Tugboat Annie. It was an old series years ago as well, but I don't know that. Too young for that. <laughs> Popper, uh, Popeye, for sure. Now, the hull is uh, riveted, I believe, and made of cast iron instead of steel. Well, old steel is yeah. iron, isn't it? Yeah. And where was she built? She was built in Philadelphia. Mm, I'm not sure the name of the yard, actually. We've got old stuff down there. It's all in the paperwork. The Hudson River tug for the New York war effort, or the American war effort, World War I, World War II. She'd have been working on the Hudson River as a line tug. And now she's here in St. Martin and she's going to do some work here. This is not a museum piece, this is a working tug. Well, she's going to be eventually. She's not working at the moment, but that's the idea of the owner, to bring her and put her to work. Now, what would you describe this area as? It's the captain's cabin, chart navigation area. This is just behind the wheel. We just came down some steps into a smaller cabin. Very, very traditional-looking cabin. A wooden bunk, single wooden bunk. Chart table, panelling, beautiful uh, tongue and groove panelling. And we have the chart here because Jason just brought this boat down from the States and he's showing me the chart. And it's a lovely straight run right down outside the Bahamas, 
all the way down to uh, St Martin. Uh, Jason, how was that trip? Interesting. We were very lucky because we had a nice weather window from when we eventually got out of the St John's River, Jacksonville, and went set off. We got three or four days of nice clear weather before we hit anything by day four. And the boat itself, she just keeps going in a straight line, lovely. Pup, 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 395 RPM, seven or eight knots, straight line sailing. Really, it was a good trip, actually. We were very lucky. Just tell us a little bit about the power on the boat. She has a single EMD 12-cylinder V12 two-stroke diesel from 1942, reconditioned by the, by the U.S. Navy, and she goes on vapours. Absolutely fantastic, really well-kept, well-maintained, very smooth running, pretty quiet, I was amazed, actually. 1,400 horses and keeps going. A lot of pulling power there. A lot of pulling power, big old locomotive. Bell thrusters? <laughs> yeah, you will. <laughs> it's a straight diesel. Straight diesel. How would you get spare parts for an engine like that? Funny you say that, because the blowers, what people consider as the turbo, the roots blowers for each side of the motor, we had to take those off. And within four days, I guess they're in the States, they had to come from Kentucky, boom, there were the new ones. Not new, but reconditioned, off with the old, on with the, the new. Yeah, you can get parts, yeah, yeah. Now, we're just standing in front of the funnel, and this is an absolutely awesome funnel because it's straight-up, traditional, old. I mean, you can tell this tug is old by looking at it from a distance by the funnel. Uh, most tugs now, because there are two more tugs alongside of us, and they've got these uh, flared funnels. But this one is a straight stack. The tug, you could almost imagine, ran on steam at some point. Probably did, I think, yeah. Quite probably did in the early days. In the old days, there were six of these in New York, and I guess there must have been steam looking about the size of that chimbley. There must have been, 1930s. Yeah, there were six in the Van Dykes, they were called. Yeah, must have been steam. Must have been. We're looking down onto the aft deck now, which is obviously the business end of a tug, um, where all the action takes place when they're towing. And what you've got here, there's two columns in front of us. What, what are these? Yeah, this is your windlass, windlass control. Spins around, five gears fore and aft for your windlass, tiller and propulsion fore and aft. Same as what we have in the, in the wheelhouse, but out here, so you can, like you said, so you can see what's going on when the boat's actually towing, when the boys are working on the deck. Everything that's in the, in the wheelhouse there is duplicated here, so you can steer and operate the tug from the aft deck. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. A stern station. And this big windlass we're looking at, that's the powerhead, I guess, for uh, hauling and pulling the barges. It's a big winch, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Great big winch. And that's original, do you think, to the uh, tug? Well, actually, no, it can't be, can it? That's probably in the same time as the motors were redone, in the 40s, I would have thought. Still big and strong, though, working good. Yeah, and I'm very surprised at the condition of the tug. It's obviously been well cared for. Its paintwork is immaculate, and it just looks like it's ready to do business. That's it, that's the idea, thank you, yeah. This is the pointed end of the uh, tugboat, shall we say, the bow. Again, very workmanlike, huge, massive construction, huge bollards. What do these stars in the middle of these bollards represent? Have you any idea? I think they're decoration for the line of the company which used to own the tug, the operating company in New York. It's their old uh, logo, I think. Isn't that nice? You see them all over the tugboat. They're made of wood, they're stuck on wooden. Really? Little bits of wood there, all the way on, all the bits have them. Everywhere you look here, it's painted black, green and white. Would that be the tradition of the uh, company also? No, actually, the company colours were cream, brown and a, and a deep red, but the paint was tired, so we've had to repaint it back to working colours. It's actually like a deep, muddy brown colour. Where we are now, this is the deepest section of the hull. Around here, yeah, just forward. This is t she can draw 12 feet when she's fully laden. We're going to take you down into the engine room now and 
give you some idea of just what the engineer on this tug would have to deal with at sea while this tug is working. Down some very, very steep steps, right down into the heart of the tug, surrounded by all the machinery, and it's hot, and uh, it's just absolutely remarkable, but it's also immaculate, like the rest of this 1930s tugboat. Wow, Jason has just taken the hatch off the cylinder head so that we can look inside and you can actually open this engine up, look in there and it's absolutely incredible. All the valve springs and the push rods and oil waves and like everything else it's just massive but absolutely immaculate. Jason, how many cylinders does the engine have again? She has a 12-cylinder V12, two-stroke diesel. And the panels on the side, what can we see through those? Again, the bottom of the cylinders for inspection down the bottom. and the bottom of the motor, you can get in there and clean your oilways and access to the motor. Wow, I'm glad to get out of there. That was hot and incredibly noisy. The heart of the tugboat is the engine. Without those engines, well, the tugboat just wouldn't be able to do its job. And that is a remarkable engine, 12 cylinders, and obviously got a lot of life in it yet and can be rebuilt, even though it's a very, very, very old engine. Jason, thank you very much for taking the time to give us a lovely tour of the tugboat, Constance. Thank you very much, Gary. You're very welcome. That was our tour of the tugboat. As I said at the beginning of the show, the tugboat story didn't end well. I like a drink and I certainly like to party, but the old tugboat never went back to sea. Instead, she was tied to a dock in St Martin, painted pink, and turned into a floating bar called the Pink Iguana. I find it unforgivable that a historic vessel should end her days that way. If you'd like to see a picture of her, then I'll post one on my website, and that's Gary E. Brown. Dot net. Now, if you'd like to comment on the podcast, then please email to gary at all at c.net. Your comments may be read out on the podcast. I look forward to hearing from you. In the next podcast, we'll take a look at a new regatta coming to the Caribbean and from our archives, talk to the old man of the sea. A big thank you to our fishing specialist, Philip Barrett, and to Captain Jason Felton for showing us around the tugboat. Oh, by the way, Jason is no longer involved with the boat. Till next time, safe sailing.